0: Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. We've made it to Wednesday, July 22nd. I'm Nyla Budu, and here's how we're making you smarter today. President Trump does an about-face on coronavirus safety, plus the right way to rebrand an NFL team. First, though, pandemic teaching pods are today's one big thing. School districts around the country are discussing virtual, hybrid, and in-classroom education models for the next school year. But some families are taking their children's education into their own hands with a new solution, pandemic pods. What's driving this news is a lot of parents don't feel safe with the options their school districts are providing. So all across the country, groups of families are banding together to create educational bubbles for their kids, who are then taught by a teacher or tutor the families have hired. Caitlin Owens is a reporter for Axios.
1: So the interesting thing is it's all grassroots, and they seem to be everywhere. I spoke with a parent in Washington, D.C., and then I spoke with one in California. They were just shocked by the explosion of interest in something like this.
0: Here's how it's working. Like a lot of grassroots organizations, these conversations are happening organically between parents who already know each other. And social media is also playing a huge role to connect others.
1: So I spoke to one woman named Myra who started a Facebook group, and it has over a thousand members now. Some people saying, we have a group of five kids looking for this, or even teachers saying, I would love to be hired to educate your pod. So it kind of reminds me of, maybe I'm dating myself, but when I went to college, there were Facebook groups for a roommate search where you kind of say a little bit about yourself, and you look for someone else who's posted a little bit about themselves, and you start talking and connect and decide to live together.
0: But as some parents think they've found a solution for the upcoming school year. Others are worried this new trend will leave some children even further behind.
1: These pods are hiring teachers. That is not for you the way that public school is. So low-income families may not be able to afford a pod like this. There's also kids who unfortunately are in families with essential workers. One of the women I spoke to today said that there are families who explicitly say we can't have that kind of risk in our pod because these families might have a kid with a chronic health condition or an elderly family member who just had cancer treatment. Low-income families, which that's a lot of overlap with essential workers, they might not have these options.
0: Some parents behind the pods are taking conscious steps to make sure everyone is included. Berkeley mom Andrea McRae's solution is to have parents fill out surveys about their values, risk comfort level, and make sure everyone has talked things out.
1: We're trying to have these conversations with people so that when you finally do pod up, you've thought about, have I taken into consideration essential workers? Have I taken into consideration the economic status of all of the families that I can offer this to? Do I have room in my pod for the things that the kids all need?
0: With seemingly no end in sight for the pandemic, there isn't a good fix to the school problem, which leaves parents feeling forced to come up with creative solutions.
1: Parents are pretty desperate right now. It's easy to look at this and say it creates a lot of equity issues, but also these are decisions being made by parents who are going to be whiter, wealthier, upper class parents. But the point is that they're really starting to feel the effects of this pandemic. And when people like that start to see their day-to-day lives impacted, I think what we're seeing is they have a lot of options to do something about it.
0: Between the lines, this story about pandemic teaching pods isn't just about parents trying to avoid a repeat of what happened this spring after abrupt school closings. These ad hoc solutions could have a long-term effect on the children and families that are excluded. Caitlin Owens is a reporter for Axios. We'll be back in 15 seconds with the president's pivot on COVID safety. Welcome back to Axios Today. Yesterday, President Trump had his first COVID briefing since April, and there was a marked change in his tone about the virus. Margaret Talib is our White House and politics editor.
2: This was a real message shift that came out. He had a more seriousness of purpose. He read off of prepared remarks that obviously someone else had prepared. And what did he say?
3: It will probably, unfortunately, get worse before it gets better. I have the mask right here. I carry it and I will use it gladly. Uh, No problem with
2: it. I think it's important for us to understand the backdrop here and some of the details. The same day that the president is making these remarks, the U.S. is reporting this new record of a thousand deaths in a day in July. There are just sweeping national trends and intractable trends that are now in progress that the president has to acknowledge. And the theory at this moment from the White House seems to be that acknowledging them more seriously is key to his building back some of his credibility in the face of this polling that shows that increasingly Republicans are disappointed with his
0: handling of the crisis. This is an important time, as you said. What are you watching for next?
2: I think the main thing we're going to be watching for is how long this new version of President Trump lasts, and when will he pivot back to going after protesters in Portland or Democratic mayors. For the moment, this is a recalibration by the White House, and there's a reason for it. And I think for all of us watching what happens next with policy, that recalibration is going to be
0: really important to watch. Margaret Tellev is our White House and politics editor. Changing a team name is a process that usually takes years, but the NFL team in Washington, D.C. has just a few weeks to rebrand a name long viewed as offensive. It's also happening in the middle of an internal sexual assault investigation and a global pandemic. So how does it happen? Kendall Baker is a sports editor for Axios.
3: So there's, there's a ton here once you start breaking it down. The obvious ones are changing the name, a new logo, uniforms, practice jerseys, things like that. But you also have to think about as any type of brand, right? You have a digital footprint, so you have to change domains, emails, social media accounts. You have a physical footprint, so you literally have to rip down logos from buildings. And if you think about an NFL team, the practice facilities, the stadium. And I think for the Redskins in particular, you have the question of, you know, do you remove the old banners, trophies, historic paraphernalia? They also have to decide what to do with those. The list is incredibly long. And this is a process that usually takes, you know, two years. And they're having to do a lot of this in the span of weeks.
0: So I wonder what kind of pressure you think they're under to get this
3: right. The pressure to get it right is higher than ever. And the process that... Usually is used to get it right is not in place. I think there's an opportunity here to make a statement with the backdrop, given, you know, social justice and systemic racism and all the things that have kind of forced this name change in the first place. The name the Red Tails, for example, has been tossed out there, which would honor the Tuskegee Airmen, which is the nickname of the first black unit to fly combat airplanes during World War II. So that would be an example of getting it right. I think, in a lot of people's minds, the pressure is almost being applied not to get it wrong, more so than, getting it right.
0: Kendall, I can't let you leave without asking you the obvious question, when are we going to find out what the name is?
3: Two of the sports branding experts I spoke with were convinced that the team might not even have a logo week one and might not even have a team. We could see just the Washington Football Club this year. Most of the people I talk with think we're going to see this kind of roll out week to week. This is not going to be a clean process by any means.
0: Kendall Baker is the sports editor for Axios. Before we leave you today…
2: You're going to need a bigger boat.
0: Remember that line from Jaws? Well, now a replica of that boat, the orca, will be headed back into the waters around Martha's Vineyard. But this time, they're not hunting a shark.
3: That's a 20-footer. 25. Three tons on them.
0: There's been an increase in great white sightings in New England. So the crew from the original movie has teamed up with ocean advocates to turn an old lobster boat into a research vessel. The new boat is called Orca 3, and unlike the movie, its goal is to educate, not entertain. Thanks for listening. Today's episode marks our official one-month birthday for Axios today. So now that we've been around for a whole 30 days, we'd like to use this opportunity to ask you for two things. First, if you're willing, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other people find us. Also, please share this podcast with someone you think needs to get smarter faster. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Stay safe, and we'll see you back here tomorrow morning.